episode of the final call here on radio Soy, episode number 41. As always, Andrew Fantuccio, Ben Maymaritis, a man with the easiest name in the Zoom, Jason Snow. Guys, a couple of uh, playoff series tied up at 3-1. Not tied up. A couple of playoff series at 3-1. Lakers up 3-1. Western Conference Finals over the Nuggets. The Heat up 3-1 in the East over the Celtics. And although the series are at the same I always want to call them scores, but that's, that doesn't seem right to me. They're at the same record. record. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, we'll do that. They're the same record. They feel very different to me. Do you guys agree with that? Would you say these series are feeling kind of different? I, I think so. To me, it's all about the competitiveness of the two series. Both series are 3-1, but the Lakers-Nuggets series feels much closer than the series between the Heat and the Celtics. It feels a lot closer. Throughout the entire playoffs, Denver has scratched and clawed to get where they are right now. No one thought they'd make it as far as they have, and they're not going away easy at all. They're not going down easy. On the other hand, the Celtics, they just don't seem to have any fight in them to me. The box score looks fine, but watching the way this team has played over on the court in this series against Miami, they look like they're ready to quit to me. I think they kind of expected themselves to be at this point. And they weren't expecting the challenge. They thought they'd be able to walk through Miami. They thought once Milwaukee was knocked out, they were on the fast track to the finals. And they're getting caught off guard, and they don't know how to fight back. Meanwhile, you have Denver. They've been in this spot before. What do you guys think? I think, I think your assessment is right, but I don't think the Denver-LA series is as close as you're giving it credit for. Because – some of those games that like weren't even close, like LeBron just took over. But I, I think your assessment on the on the Celtics series is accurate because Miami is playing on high ground right now, and the Celtics are backpedaling. They have no answer. They're completely out of their element. Like we talked about this before, the zone is working effective not because the Celtics can't shoot threes. It's not because the Celtics don't have good players. It's because they're being marginalized. Like this is how I kind of alluded to it. If you're a team, and the Celtics are an isolation-heavy team, if your team bails on its number one strength, you're, complete, you're out. You're desperate. And, and Miami's forcing the Celtics to be a ball movement, pace and space kind of team, and they're, they're just not that. Um, they, they can be that team in spots, but to you know, sustain it over a series, I don't think so. Uh, but Tyler Hero, um, quickly. Wow. Um, game four, I said this. Each one of his points felt like four points instead of two. <laughs> yeah. like, they just, like I felt every single one of them in my chest. The Celtics couldn't <laughs> solve them. The Celtics had nothing they could do to stop them in that game. I know. And it, you look up and Tatum had like, what, 30? And Tyler Hero had 37. But you would say, like, oh, they played so differently. So mm-hmm. I, w- I would say that the Heat wrap it up tonight in five. Yeah, I'd ag- I agree with that. I think this series is over. We'll get to that in a little bit. But you mentioned me saying that Denver, I'm kind of overhyping that series. Maybe true, but in juxtaposition to what Boston is, these teams seem miles apart, light years apart. And it it all has to do with the quality of their core players and that young talent on on those teams. Because you look at it, I think if I have to pick between Denver's young talent and Boston's run talent, young talent, I don't even have to think about it. I'm going with Boston, with Denver's right now. I'm picking Denver. It just, it's not even, I some, 
something I even have to question. Yes, the Celtics have more guys who are taken at the top end of the draft, but I think Denver's young talent and core has proven they're just as talented. Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, they go without saying. They're superstars. They've proven that. They've established themselves as bona fide superstars in these playoffs. But even then, you have guys like Michael Porter Jr. We don't really know what he is yet, but he's shown glimpses of that talent and that flash that he was projected to have as a prospect. I think, overall, I would go with Denver over Boston in, in a seven-game series. I, just, I don't think Boston has the fight that Denver has. I think Boston needs to mature a little bit more. For me, that's an interesting point, Andrew. I, I kind of I'm with you on that. I don't know if it's a fight thing. I just think that the the Nuggets just have their players are more skill based, whereas Boston is more athletically based. If that makes any sense. That's a very good point. And like you look at Jokic, he doesn't jump off the screen at you in terms of athleticism. Where he where he makes his money is through his skill and his basketball IQ. And the same thing with Jamal Murray. Like, Jamal Murray isn't that, you know, I mean, he is athletic, don't get me wrong, but, like, he has some plays where, like, that layup in game four was just, whew, that he, he was looking like Air Jordan. But, like, I mean, it's, it's all skill-based with them. And the Celtics can definitely have flashes of the skill, but I think they rely mostly on their athleticism. I mean, Jalen Brown is an athlete. Jason Tatum is an athlete. Um, that that kid Robert Williams, he's athletic, so I think that's kind of where it boils down to. But yeah, I, I mean, looking the future looks bright for both teams for sure. I don't know if I'm comparing these two teams. I like Denver's potential way more than Boston right now. I really do, and maybe that is because Boston's more athletic. But Jason Tatum's supposed to be a skill guy, right? Jason Tatum, we keep saying he's supposed to be a top five player in the NBA right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know Jamal Murray's kind of taking that spot from him. Yeah, I this think, this has been his coming out party, these these whole playoffs. And I think it does come down to fight. It really does. Just look at the way these two teams have played throughout these entire playoffs. Boston can't seem to get out of their own way. Dumb turnovers. Playing, not lazy, but playing while they're ha- while half asleep. Denver is going out every game 100 miles an hour. They don't stop. And that for that reason, being able to come back from 3-1 deficits before and showing this type of fight that they've had and that hunger, I take Denver's young core uh, seven days a week. That's an interesting point, too, because the Celtics, I mean, throughout this, these whole bubble, this whole bubble, right, Denver has had probably the most adversity out of any team. I mean, the Celtics haven't really had that kind of adversity. Like, yes, they, you know, they, have, they lose a game here and there in the playoffs, but it's like Denver came back from 3-1 twice, had to go to a game seven twice. And now they're, they're down three one again. They're six and zero in elimination games in these playoffs. That hasn't happened ever. No team in a single playoffs exactly. has gone six and zero in elimination games. That's crazy. And, and this is from a, an incredibly young team. Yeah. You know, I think besides Paul Millsap, there's not a guy on that team over the age of thirty. I mean, they're just incredibly resilient, and you know, Michael Malone is doing a great job coaching that team. He's got them all on the same page. And, yeah, I mean, this is a young team that is kind of ready right now. I mean, I, I, I was high on Denver coming into these playoffs, but I didn't expect this. I really didn't. I didn't expect them to be this good. I didn't expect them to be this resilient. And, you know, the, 
they're running into a hot Lakers team, which, you know, I have some thoughts on the Lakers, but I have, I just thought about this just now, but does it help Denver's young core at all that their surrounding cast is a lot better? Like Brad Stevens has five consistent, not even consistent. I can't even say that five reliable bankable players, Tatum, Brown, smart, uh, Walker and Tice and, and six, if you count, Hayward coming. Whoa, 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 whoa. I mean, they had, they haven't been very reliable in this series for one and two. I would, Take no. Daniel Tice out of that out of that group altogether. Daniel Tice I'm, sucks. I'm, no, but look at the the big picture. Like, you can't trust Robert Williams in big spots. You can't trust Ennis Cantor. Like those guys can't soak up big minutes. Like, but if you look at Denver and you say, "Oh wow, they have a surrounding cast of Jeremy Grant, uh, Gary Harris," like those guys in Monte Morris off the bench. Like they're a lot deeper. So I think that relieves some of the pressure off of Jokic and Murray. Contrast that to Boston. Tatum and Tatum and Brown have to take a lot of the snaps. Like they they have to take a lot more of the Celtics shots compared to Denver. So I think that plays. I'm not dis, I'm not discounting Denver's young core because I, I believe me, it's popping right now. So are you saying that you're saying Denver's team is much better assembled than Boston? I like I like the Celtics talent up top, but if you're talking about a well-rounded cog machine, I'll take Denver. I agree with you there, Jason. But so then I'm gonna I want to pose this question to you. Sure. Were we overhyping the Celtics throughout this entire season? Then, if that's the case, no, 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 not because uh, that sounds like, like that kind of sounds like what we're saying now. Well, overhype is, I think, strong. Putting Jason Tatum as a top five player in the NBA is 100 percent overreaction. He's somewhere between 10 and 12 to me. Yeah, um, I, I think Brown is, has popped. Um, Smart <laughs> can't afford to go three three for twelve. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And and he's been my guy throughout the playoffs. You guys know he hitting threes. You're my best friend, Marcus. But but this team shouldn't shoot anywhere near forty threes. And this kind of goes to Ben's point a couple weeks ago about Giannis. Just because Miami's giving you the three doesn't mean you have to take it. You know what I mean? Yep. So are we over? And to get back to your your question. Big picture, no, we're not – like, in the short term, yes, Tatum's been neutralized. Big picture, I like the Celtics at the top more than Denver. Yeah, I, I, you can look at the, both rosters. Boston has, what, four or five guys taking the top tens of draft – top ten picks of their draft, right? Yeah. Denver doesn't have that. What, Jamal Murray was late first round, and I think Jokic, he was second round, right? Yeah, deep, Yeah, deep in the draft. Right, so then you, I think you kind of fault Danny Ainge a little bit, right? You can fault him as saying, maybe we don't need to get, you don't have to get guys at the top of the draft. You don't have to hold on to the, those draft picks that he's been clutching, like it's his life support to help su- support this team to get better players because he really values those draft picks, right? How long did he hold on to that Sacramento pick? How long did he hold on to the Memphis pick they that he still out, has? Though. They panned out though. Did yeah. they really pan out? It's too early to tell. If you're if down you're three one, him. right, and you have and you have guys who who are picked in the late first and in the second, right, and they're playing way better than you are. I know they're also down three one in their series, mm-hmm. but we we can say Denver has played better than Boston has in these playoffs, right? Yes. Well, I I don't want to be revisionist history, but 
remember a couple of years ago when Isaiah Thomas was on the Celtics and he was like the main man. And we were like, oh, they're one piece away. They're one offensive piece away. And that was supposed to be Gordon Hayward, right? Well, prior to signing Hayward, we were like, oh, Paul George wants out of Indiana. Give the, give the picks to Indiana. Like, what if they made that trade? That trade wouldn't have panned out either because Jalen Brown, like, Jaylen, like they, get, they would have had to give up Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum, that, the pick uh, that resulted in those two guys, to Indiana. Like, but I even then, like, history, it but. doesn't have to be just for those guys, but just support pieces. Like, when we went back to, the, to the, uh, this year's trade deadline, right, the Celtics didn't make a single move. You can sort of what I'm saying? Like, you can build other ways besides just through draft picks. They need a little bit more. They need they're too top heavy. They brought in they brought in Ennis Cantor, who Oh gives come him, on. Ennis Cantor, what he's playing what, like six minutes a night right now? Yeah, but like I guess what I'm trying to say is you can't bag on Danny Ainge for trying to build through the draft because his moves have been pretty good, like Jason said. They panned out. And Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, they're what, twenty two and twenty three? Give them how time. Old's, how old's Jamal Murray? That's no. That's not. A, that's not. That's a players, perfect comparison. No, because players develop at different speeds. Different players are. Well, their primes are different. Denver looks much closer to a championship right now than Boston does. So I'll give you. Well, so well. Well, yeah, but like in the in the next five years, what is that going to look like? It might look fi- a lot different. Next five years, I'm looking at right now today. Right. Okay. Uh, Denver is further be, along than Boston is. But you can't be a prisoner of the moment. Hold on one second, one second, one second. Andrew, would Danny Ainge have done a better job if he kept, if he either kept Kyrie or let him go for nothing? No, they got Kemba Walker, an all-star. Would you have been more thankful if he kept Al Horford at that price? No, he let him go and got Ennis Cantor, who last year in the playoffs played real minutes for Portland in the playoffs, and he was their starting center after Nurkic went down, and he was good. And I remember saying in the offseason, $5 million for, for Ennis Cantor. I don't know how much they'll use him, but – to have that in your back pocket is special. Like, what moves would you have said, oh, that's a poor move. That is a really poor move. Like, what, what, which one? Marcus Smart proved to be worth that price tag. Jalen Brown proved to be worth that price tag. Like, would you have rather him let go of Kyrie for nothing or, you know, like, kept Al Horford at $27 million? So, so, letting go of Kyrie, letting go of Horford, both good moves. Both good moves. I like signing Walker. Um, he hasn't been exactly great in these playoffs, but I like him over Kyrie with this team. He's a better fit. Cantor, if you want to have that one, fine. I don't think he really makes much of a difference for Boston right now, especially when he's playing like maybe six minutes. It's they a really have, thing. They, they, he's, he's getting, been, he's getting scorched by Bam Adebayo. Because he's not a good, he's a good matchup for against Kelly Olenek and Al Horford. <laughs> That's what they used him for. Well, so it's, is, that's why they but are, you're, are you game playing to beat Kelly Olynyk or Al Horford? Is that the bar, though? No. That's not the, the bar shouldn't be Al Horford or Kelly Olynyk. The bar should be beating LeBron James. And I know that's, that's not exactly what he had in mind because I, I, that helps him on a couple nights throughout the season, right? But when it's time to make a statement and win a playoff series, you need real bona fide stars. And Denver's guys have turned into that already. And they were picked in the same draft, so the same age as Brown and Tatum. Tatum and Brown might have higher ceilings, but they're not there yet. Denver's further along in their development, whether you guys want to admit it or not. No, that's okay. So, But saying they're further along in their development doesn't mean that like, in the grand scheme of things, they're going to be better. 
That's the thing. They they fit better right now. That and okay, not- fine. But I, I can I we if we want to revisit this conversation in two years. Okay, but right now the way I'm seeing it, the Boston Celtics have not lived up to their hype. They haven't lived up to their own expectations that they set for themselves. Denver's exceeded their expectations. They're playing well. They're down, they're up against a monster in the Los Angeles Lakers, a team that was supposed to be there. Meanwhile, the Celtics are about to be uh, have given a gentleman swept by a team that had basically no right being in, in the Eastern Conference Finals at the start of the year. No one's disagreeing with you. We're just saying. We're just saying. Like, don't put the don't point the finger at Danny Ainge. Don't point the finger at, at Brad Stevens. Like, wh- okay, at the beginning of the year, we say Celtics are going to beat Toronto in five in the second round and get to the Eastern Conference Finals. Wouldn't we all sign that? Wouldn't we all sign that paper right there? We don't. We all take that at the beginning of the year. We'd say Kemba's in his first year. Gordon's coming back. We'll just see how this goes. Like Denver exceeded their their expectations, but I'm not like because they fit better and and. I'm not going to be revisionist history and say, oh, Danny Ainge should have done this, 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 this. Like, he shouldn't have made those moves. Because they, they worked. We got to the Eastern Conference Finals. That's a win. That's a win when you're yeah. going to get bounced in five games by an inferior Heat team that really inferior? doesn't have the talent. Yes, talent-wise, talent wise, yes. Not in terms of fight and hunger. In terms of fight and hunger, there's no one that matches the Miami Heat. And we've seen throughout these playoffs, fight and hunger mean more than, ever, than they ever have. Because of the bubble. Because of the bubble, you have a shot if you have that drive and that heart. Boston doesn't have that. The Celtics don't have the heart. They, they, just, get neutral, they just get marginalized by that. Like, the effort is unacceptable. And I agree that Kate, they, I think they were looking ahead to what could have been. All right? I'll, I'll concede you that. But I'm just not going to say these were these moves were not worth it because they were. Yeah, they like I oh, think no. it's entirely an overreaction to say that, you know, just because we lose to the Heat in the Eastern Conference Finals, that's a failure. If anything, it's like, an absolutely a failure. It's absolutely no. a failure. Dude, you got to look at the the big picture here. Like Tatum and Brown are growing. Um, Kemba Walker has grown. This is Kemba Walker's first playoffs. Like these are just. We stepping stones into the future. Like, yes, they ran into a hot Miami team. Yes, like, on paper, the Celtics are a better team, but this isn't on paper. This is real life, and the Miami Heat are just playing better. There's, there's, there's no shame in that. Like, if you watch Miami play, like, oh. they should... They beat the Bucks, Right, but the Celtics aren't playing up to their level, right? Like, what have you been saying about the Celtics throughout this entire series? They're making dumb mistakes, turnovers, they're they're not playing to their caliber. They're stooping down. Right? They're not giving the effort. I think if Boston, if the Celtics gave half the effort the Miami Heat though, the Miami Heat have in this series, the Celtics would be in a much better spot. But they're not even close. If they gave half the effort that the Denver Nuggets have and throughout these entire playoffs, I Boston think would be we're, better. We're off. not we're not disagreeing with that. What we're disagreeing with is that to say that like this team is like you know like blow it up or like just I'm not saying blow a, it up. I'm not saying complete, blow it up. Like to say that this team is like complete wash and that these they like, this year these, it is. Like I'm not ready to throw in the towel on the on trying with this team. They have yeah Tatum and Brown and they're they're all young. They still got more room to grow. But so why look, are we why are we getting on the Celtics for being not because as good as look. Denver? Because look where Denver is with their guys. They're young guys who are in the who are taking the same drafts. Later in the drafts, we're getting paid less than those guys. 
you're getting more out of a uh, you're getting more out of your investment with Denver than you are with Boston. So who cares that they were picked later in the draft? Who ca- like who cares? It means that you because that way maybe Danny Ainge could have used those top draft picks Stop a little bit better. I'm I glad it. he Stop went it. out and got Jason Tatum. But the Memphis pick this year, that's going to turn into nothing? The Sacramento pick from nothing. last year? Nothing? It's going to turn into nothing. Okay. A lottery pick. Really? A bottom of the lottery pick, right? Yeah. Because, you know, those guys that don't get drafted high, those, those guys always play well. So, those, those Jokic and Murray aren't anomalies at all. If I look at Siakam, who's taken later in those in those drafts, you oh can get God. talent throughout the draft. I think my IQ is dropping. Listen, oh guys, come on, Andrew, you cannot sit here and tell me that Danny Ainge should be looking later in the draft when he has like third overall picks. I'm saying he should be more aggressive with trades. I'm saying he should be more aggressive with really trying to put this team over the top. Then, I'm sick. Of, I'm tired of the waiting at this point. Right? That's all I'm saying. Look at where Denver is. They're light years ahead of you. Good for them. Good for isn't the point of winning a championship? What's the point of holding on to all these draft picks if they don't turn into anything? If you don't win a title, they they are turn. Do you not see Jason Tatum and Jason Tatum made it to the All Star game? How many turnovers? Great, you had an All Star game win. That's like a dunk contest win. I didn't care about championships. Know what? Know what? We're ready to wrap on this segment. Coming up next, we'll get into Drew Brees. Is he done? Are the Saints over with Drew Brees after the season? Give you our thoughts next year on the final call. This segment of the final call is brought to you by New England Sports United, written by the one and only Jason Snow. New England Sports United, written for New England. Great publication. Check fantastic. It out. Fantastic publication. You know what doesn't seem to be uh, fantastic right now? Drew Brees. Saints quarterback Drew Brees. He doesn't seem to have it anymore, guys. Doesn't He's not that guy anymore. I'm not, I don't be Max Kellerman. I'm not saying there's a cliff. I'm not... I'm not saying that, but he's just – if you look at what, the way he's played these first two games, you, I don't know how, as a Saints fan, you can be confident in him at least. I don't say bail on your team. I've heard rumors that people who are Saints fans should be worried that the Saints can't compete without Michael Thomas. That's not the case. The Saints team is too, com- is too good on both sides of the ball and special teams, frankly. What do you guys think? Should Saints fans should uh, Saints fans be concerned right now with Drew Brees' play? I think they should to a certain extent. I mean, it is only week two, but you're right. These past two games, you know, the game against Tampa, they did win, but you look at his stats. I mean, he had like 160 yards, two touchdowns, and it was mostly Alvin Kamara's show with that. And it was the Tampa Bay just not being on the same page with on um, both sides of the ball. And then you look at the game against the Raiders, a game that they, frankly, they should have won. I know it was in Vegas. It was a Monday night game. But, I mean, Drew Brees on Monday night is usually a sure thing. Like, that's usually a win, right? And I know he didn't have Michael Thomas. But, you know, there were just some some throws he was making were just uncharacteristic of Drew Brees. I mean, we always pride Drew Brees on he's, you know, statistically he's the best, he's the most accurate passer in the history of the game. You know, he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, which is all true. But you look at these past two games, it's like, you know, it, I don't want to say he's hitting a wall or he's hitting a cliff or anything like that, but maybe age is catching up. And, and 
I kind of stopped counting out like old players once Tom Brady won a Super Bowl at 41. It was just kind of like, all right, like, you know, how long can quarterbacks really play for? And, you know, Drew Brees isn't Tom Brady. I understand that. But it's, it's you know, it's it's definitely alarming for sure. I mean, you know, you look at the Saints, and we all are very high on the Saints, except for Jason, who gave up on the Saints a long time ago. But this is a team that should be – yeah, the, the, <laughs> the Saints should be a team that's making a push for the Super Bowl, right? And, you know – a big part of that is Drew Brees, right? Because he is one of one of those quarterbacks in the league that should be playing at a high level, at an MVP level, and so far he just hasn't been doing it. I'm gonna I'm gonna push my chip to the center of the table here, and I know I've been a little outlandish with my NFL takes. Uh-oh. I understand I've been a little over my skis, especially with the Patriot stuff. I've been the the, the butt of a lot of jokes recently. Um, <laughs> won't leave me alone, God. Anyway, um, that's right. The Saints will have a sub-500 record without Michael Thomas. Like, as, as long as he's out of the lineup, they will, not, they will not be 500 or better because he is what makes that offense go. I understand Drew Brees has Alvin Kamara. I understand he has Jared Cook. Al- Michael Thomas is really what makes that offense pop. Like, he sets them apart. And I know that Saints defense is, is a little underrated, to be honest, in my opinion. But when you have Drew Brees – and there's no shame in, in Drew Brees kind of not withering away. I think that's a little strong. But – kind of deteriorating in front of our eyes like 41 years old like not a lot of players last that long so there's no shame in that um I just don't think the Saints are offensively as eye-popping without Michael Thomas and I think that'll hurt him a lot they're not the same team as they are with Michael Thomas as they are without yeah I'm not saying that but you know I think the Saints team should be better they're not so bad where they won't have a winning record they should still they should have beaten the Raiders yeah. They're better on offense. They have the best offensive line in football. They are deep at receiver. They have the best offensive line in football. I don't know. I, that's not a hot take. They have four pro bowlers last year, plus an all pro. That's the best offensive line in football. Alvin Kamara is a great, is probably the second best dual threat running back in the NFL outside of Christian McCaffrey. They're deep at receiver. They're deep on defense. They're well coached. I don't think Drew Brees has to play an elite level to carry the Saints team. And I think they're fine without Michael Thomas for now. But I am concerned, though, about how far has Drew Brees fallen? For years, he was the number two, number three guy with up there Manning and Brady. I know we're heading into a different era, but how far has he fallen? Where do you rank Drew Brees among active quarterbacks in the NFL, Jason? Heading into the season, I had him pegged around five or six. Uh, right around with, with Brady, and I think Wentz was in that conversation for me. Uh, I didn't write it all down, but just from the top of my head, it was, he was like around that range. Uh, now, in terms of how he's playing so far and how I think that it will like last into other weeks forward, I have him around average, 15, 16. Is that, am, I over my, like, am I overreacting on that? Like, no, I'm no I, that. I don't think so. I mean, if I were to rank the current quarterbacks in the NFL right now, I go Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, Pat Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, Matt Ryan, Josh Allen, Cam Newton, Roethlisberger, Dak Prescott, Jared Goff, Derek Carr, Tom Brady, Deshaun Watson, Drew Brees. That's 15th. Yeah, and like that's interesting because some of the names that you that you mentioned 
was like, I mean, you know, the Tom Brady's, the Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Lamar Jackson, you expect those, right? But like Derek Carr, Jared Goff, Cam, Cam. Well, yeah, Cam Newton's been playing really well, but like those are guys that shouldn't be above Drew Brees of like how they've been playing. They just shouldn't. Like Drew Brees should be playing better. And you know, it's kind of alarming. I, I'm I'm with you, Jason. I kind of had him in in the top ten for sure. You know, around like the Deshaun Watson area, right? Mm-hmm. And now he's now he's right at the the like around top 15 maybe even a little less than that so yeah yeah it's it's a precipitous drop off for sure but but like i said there's no shame in that like like peyton manning especially in the in the denver years late in his career he was kind of fading to 15 20 ish quarterback and he had that defense that is well chronicled kind of carried him to a super bowl so yep and he was only 39 and he needs that i think breeze needs that sort of support um yeah it's just, it's just, I've said this last week too. If you, if you haven't seen a lot of Drew Brees play, soak it up this year. Cause I, I think he's done after this year. He's going to go into broadcasting. I think it'll be a good one to be honest. I think he'll be good too, but I don't know. I just can't imagine a Saints team without Drew Brees, but then again, I couldn't imagine the Patriots without Tom Brady. So, <laughs> yeah. but you're gonna have to, Ben. I mean, I really, I do think that Drew Brees is done after this year. He's going to the booth. He's gonna go. What is it? Monday Night Football or Sunday Night Football? He's gonna join. Uh, Sunday Night Football. Yeah, he'll go to Sunday Night Football. He's gonna be a broadcaster. I think he'll do a great job. But I think he's done after this year. His arm's gone. Well, not gone. He's not Peyton Manning at the end of his career. But he doesn't have the zip he once had. Yeah, no, he doesn't. His arm, his arm, like not noodle arm, but it's not like. I said like dry pasta, maybe a nice, you know, nice uh, angel hair linguini type, maybe <laughs> the fettuccine type. Yeah, yeah, oh, fettuccine. But and I think the Saints too. I think they're ready to move on. I think Sean Payton's really eager to have Taysom Hill as his starting quarterback. I think mean, this is the last year of Drew Brees in the NFL, so we, we better we better uh, soak it up while we can, even if it's not exactly what he once was. We all watched that Raider game on um, what was it Monday Night Football? Yeah, it was we never really thought the Raiders were going to have a good defense. And then against Breeze, they were down like a touchdown. I think they were down like two possessions in the fourth quarter. And we were like, at least personally, I was like, yeah, this is a Raider win right here. They, so I, in the past, it would have been like, oh, Breeze with, with five minutes to go and he's down by 10 points. Yeah, two possessions. They'll get it done. Yep. I, I, don't, I didn't even think they had a fighting chance at, in the late stages of that game. Uh, maybe that's props to a Raiders defense outperforming my expectations, but I think a lot of it was Drew Brees was kind of shot. He is shot. And if, if this is the case, if this is Drew Brees' final year in the NFL, where does he rank all time? Ben, want to go first? That's interesting. I mean, you, quarterbacks, you obviously put Brady at the top. For me, I'd probably put Montana, then Manning, Peyton, not Eli. Uh, obviously. <laughs> Cooper? Cooper Manning? Is he up there? Uh, yeah. Um, Archie. <laughs> then you know four and five. That's tough, man. I don't know if Breeze. I mean, Breeze Jason, does have the Super Bowl. He has the stats. Jason, how about you? Know. Where do you rank Drew Breeze? Breeze is like my Wilt Chamberlain of football. He has like every record. When whenever a quarterback goes off, it's like oh, he's breaking Wilt. Like he's breaking Drew Breeze's record or whatnot. He's coming close to it. Like Drew Breeze is always on the top of every record list. So I have to give him some respect there. But I, I would take. Brady, Montana, 
He's kind of he's kind of in there with Rodgers. Not not at number three, obviously, but probably like six, seven. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's pretty much where I have him. I have him at six. I go Brady, Montana, Peyton Manning, John Elway, Dan Marino, uh, Drew Brees. I'm not mad at that. Mm-hmm. And the way and it was it was tough because after after Peyton Manning after three because I think the top three that's that's obvious. Mm-hmm. But after that, it, it, it kind of gets washed in a little bit there. I figured what, what the knock on me for Drew Brees was that he was never the best quarterback of his era. There was always Brady. There was always Manning. Never won an MVP. Never won MVP. That's not. It's not his fault. But that's just. just that's that's the fact. Elway and Marino, you could look at those two and like they were the defining quarterbacks of their era. They, you could look at them always number one or number two. Drew Brees, he has the stats. That's great, but he doesn't. He was never the guy of his era. Yeah, and and you could kind of to go back to my Wilt Chamberlain comparison. Russell kind of defined that era because he won, and he won with the Celtics. And he, he like Brady can define this era because he won. He won with Belichick. He was like the Saints were kind of a roller coaster for a little while, and that Katrina Super Bowl meant a lot to that city, and I, that has a lot of weight to it. Katrina but, Super Bowl. Uh, the Super Bowl that he won with uh, what was it? Yeah, it, 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 was a, it was a few years later. Yeah, but I, I just want to make sure we got our timelines. Right? Like Katrina was like oh five oh six. They didn't yep. win that Super Bowl to like oh nine. It was twenty eleven, I think. Oh, so even later. Oh, wait, no. I, yeah, it was twenty ten or twenty eleven. That sounds about right. I just, I just want to make sure we were on the same timeline. We were in. Yeah, but it pieced together a community. Yeah, yep. and I think that, that meant a lot. So, does that cement his legacy? I don't know, but Brady defined this era because he was so stable and he was so consistent, and we knew what we were getting year in and year out of Brady. Breeze, there, there were some question marks about that roster. There weren't any question marks about him in particular, but about that roster, there were, there were some holes. No, I mean, Drew Brees is definitely first ballot Hall of Famer. I don't think there's, there's no dispute in that. He's first ballot. He's going in. Yeah. I just think he's not the greatest of all time, and it's unfortunate because he, he deserves to be up in that, in that class. If, I, if, if you were to make a Rushmore, a Mount Rushmore of quarterbacks, if you put Drew Brees on there, I wouldn't be angry. But yeah. I don't think you can – he was never the guy. He always had Brady. He always had Manning. If you think about it, I, ben, I know you have a point. I just want to make this one really quick. How many years did we go where the Super Bowl featured either Tom Brady or Peyton Manning? Right? Yeah. It was always one of those two guys. Brees has only been there once. And I know Manning's had his issues in the playoffs, but he at least got to the Super Bowl four times. Yeah. You know, Brees has only been there once, and he hasn't been back since. And he's kind of choked in the playoffs. Not him, but his teams have choked in the playoffs. And that's what kind of defines players right is your success in the postseason like you know Brady is regarded as the best postseason quarterback ever you know Peyton Manning had his struggles in the playoffs even though he won two Super Bowls Um, but then you look at Breeze kind of you know I don't like this term a lot but he's more of a regular season quarterback kind of like Peyton Manning was Peyton Manning is considered you know like the best regular season quarterback ever he won five MVPs and then uh, Drew Breeze you know, one of my favorite stats about Drew Brees is multiple quarterbacks have a 5,000-yard season, right? That's it. They only have one. Brady has one. Peyton has one. Mahomes has one. Um, there's some others. I just can't think of them right now. But Brees has seven 5,000-yard seasons. Seven. <laughs> Which is – that's just unreal. And he's so prolific, and he's his stats speak for themselves. But this is a guy who – 
you know, in the regular season, he does his job well. He wins games for him. And, you know, it's it's unfortunate because I think he does deserve that extra Super Bowl. Like, he deserves it. And, um, you know, I hope this isn't his last year, but it's looking like it. And if it is, I hope they win. And I hope I hope he goes out on top. Quick question. Just give me a simple yes or no. Did Drew Brees underachieve for his career? Ooh. Ben, you can explanation. Yes or no? No. He didn't underachieve. That's really tough. I don't even – I don't know. I want to say yes, but at the same time, he has all these records, man. Like I he say did, yes. He performs so well. Records are great, but championships are what, mat- what matters most to me. Championships yeah. matter most to me. Yeah, I mean, there was that phantom no call in the uh, NFC Championship a while ago. Yeah. But then you look at the overtime, they had a chance to win the game. He threw a pick. It was like, mm. Yeah, it, it's it's been great watching Drew Brees over these last I don't know twenty five not twenty five but twenty years of his career. Gonna miss him. Uh, I just hope the the Saints give him the proper send off that he deserves. Uh, that's something to look forward to over the course of this season. But there has been some surprises so far in the NFL this year. Twenty twenty has been twenty twenty. It's been off to a kind of a weird start in the NFL. We'll give you our thoughts on some surprises in the NFL next. This last segment, this last segment is brought to you by scoreboardtimes.com. Scoreboardtimes.com, show your passion while you're here. Guys, the NFL season has already been off to kind of a weird start. There's been some teams, there's been some players that have been surprising. What's been the most surprising part of the NFL season thus far to you guys? A good, wait, good surprise or bad surprise? Either. Um... There's a lot, so we'll touch on a lot. But I would say my number one is probably the Eagles falling flat on their faces. That's a good one. <laughs> I, I had them pegged to win the division. Um, it, it was I thought it was going to be tight, like a ten and six season ish. Um, but wow, they uh, yikes! You know, Jason, I kind of disagree with you on that being a surprise, though. To me, the Eagles are so banged up. There's so many injuries. They just lost Jalen Rieger, who's going to be out for a couple weeks now. Like this, this team can't catch a break. I really didn't have this team this high because I just didn't think they could overcome all the injuries. So this one's not really much of a surprise to me. I like that. I like the Eagles pick. Um, I don't know. My my thing with the Eagles isn't as far as the Eagles. It's more of Carson Wentz. I mean, Carson Wentz has just been playing. Yikes. I mean, his decision-making has just been really bad. And I mean, you look at his career as a starter. He's 14 and 15. That's, you know, that's not great. And I know that, you know, that falls a lot on team success as well, but Carson Wentz these past two games have just has not impressed me. But in terms of surprises, something that kind of surprised me that wasn't really, you know, it has to do with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, you guys both know that. uh, Here we go. (laughs) Listen, Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski hold a special place in my heart. And I hope they hold a special place in your hearts too, considering they won you, you know, multiple Super Bowls. But anyway, um, you know, Jason and I were talking about this in the group chat. It was Bruce Arians who came out and said he was asked why Gronk wasn't being used more in the passing game. And he was like, oh, well, why would we need to use Gronk? We have, that's what we have receivers for to catch passes. It's like, and that just got me thinking. It's like, Bruce Arians these past two weeks has done a lot of talking 
Am I wrong about that? Like some of the things he's been saying have just kind of made me scratch my head a little bit. Like he came out and kind of ostracized Brady at the, at when they lost to the saints, which, you know, Brady made some mistakes. I'll give you that. But to do it in front of the press, that's kind of like a cardinal sin in sports. And then you do this. You say that a Hall of Fame tight end, he was one of the six tight ends selected to the NFL 100 team, one of the greatest to ever do it. And you're just saying, oh, we don't need him in the passing game. We can use a receiver instead. I mean, it's, I don't necessarily agree uh, with that. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that, though. Like, look, Rob Gronkowski is not I'm what shocked. he was. Rob Gronkowski is not who he was. He's not uh, uh, an all-pro tight end anymore. He's not. He t- took How do 18. we know? Cause we ben, haven't seen anything. Yes. I think the fact that we haven't seen anything tells you a lot. I really, I think it means that he's, he's not who he was. He's a good blocker. He can catch a five-yard slant out, of the, you know, out in the flat, or he can run a little in-route for you, but he's not the downfield threat that he once was. And he's right. Bruce Andrews is right. With the weapons on that team, they don't need Rob Gronkowski to be that guy. Rob Gronkowski came no, yeah. out. You know, I don't think that's anything has to do. Like we don't like, yeah, it provides an extra wrinkle, an extra weapon, but they, they have that in Mike Evans, Chris Godwin. They have that with OJ Howard, Cameron Bray. They have three really good running backs. Rob Gronkowski not the top guy in that depth chart. He's no, not the I, top priority in terms of, in terms of passing, uh, catching passes anymore. I agree with you there, but where I'm thinking is like, who on who on that roster does Brady trust the most out of all the receivers and tight ends? It's Gronk, without question. Uh, I don't know about that anymore. Like how many how many looks is is he really throwing? A, it's, like maybe maybe personally, like, yes, I, like, I I see what you're saying. But on the field now, I don't wonder you think. If, don't you think it would be like really helpful for Brady if it's like they're trying to execute a two minute drill and you know it's one of those uh, play actions where you know the tight end. Uh, you know, fakes trying to block and they, he kind of like slips out into like a, he, he runs down the seam and then Brady hits him on like a big conversion. Like those are the kind of things we saw all the time in new England. I'm just saying like, maybe we could see some of that. Like he doesn't need to be that downfield threat anymore. Right. I mean, use, even if he's 75% of the Gronk we once knew, he's still elite, right? He's still. No. Yes. No. Now with the level of tight in the NFL today, he's not Kelsey. He's not Kittle. He's not Zach Ertz. I know. I said seventy-five percent. But you said he's still elite, and yeah. that's that's the elite class. He's not. He's not as good as those guys if he's only seventy-five percent. I think Arians can have the opinion that you have, Andrew, but to leak it to the media, like you can think oh, that internally. Yeah. But if you, and and I'm a guy like we interview people a lot. I want. I encourage honest answers. Like I really want them to be honest. But that's there's a time and a place. Like it is a bad look. I agree with you. And. But, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we brought up what uh, Arians was saying. Like Brady's used to criticism; he's he got a ton of that with Belichick. But in the media, this is a whole new set of circumstances for him. He's not used to this. So leaking in the media, yeah, not exactly a great look, but it's but the it, truth. But it's like, who are you, Bruce Arians? You're a below five hundred head coach in the last three years. And if it weren't for Tom Brady coming to your team, no one would have you anywhere near the playoffs and you'd still have Jameis Winston and you'd probably be forced to pay him a lot of money. So like, it's almost to me, this might sound not elitist, but like this might sound high end or whatnot, but it's almost like you're taking them for granted. It's like, don't take legends for granted. Yeah. 
you can take the legend for granted when he's no pl- longer playing at the level he once was. And that's not Brady. That's not applying to Brady. That's applying just strictly to Gronkowski. You know what I mean? Like it's yes. it's great that Gronk's here. It's great, but Gronk is not Gronk. He's Rob Gronkowski. He's Robert Gronkowski now. He's but, not but, Gronk. But the an- the answer to that question could have been instead of saying, "Oh, we have receivers to do that." It could have been, "You know what? Our quarterback's making the decisions. I trust him. If he doesn't see Gronk open, he doesn't see Gronk open. We're going to try to game plan, you know, depending on matchups and stuff. We'll just see how things go later in the week. It doesn't have to be so brash. You know what I mean? No, I agree with you. I, I do. Like, as, as the head coach, you don't say that. But, hey, you know, maybe this is also is a way for Gronk to sort of like, hey, all right, this is what he thinks. Prove me wrong. Maybe that it, Gronk can use this as some sort of fuel and some sort of, like, motivation to get back to that level. I, that, I, that, I don't think he will. I don't think he's, he's capable of it anymore. But if he does, I mean, good for him. That's optimistic, but that shouldn't be the goal. Like, if you want to motivate guys, do it one-on-one with them. Don't blast them to the media. There's other yeah, guys that's get, kind of a cardinal sin in sports. To but guys get motivated in different ways. There, there, yeah. there are ways to do it. You know what I mean? Maybe, maybe Gronk's the guy who needs the kick in the butt. And Arians knew him for like 45 minutes. He should probably get to know him a little bit more. Hey. <laughs> before, I mean, you know? Listen. Belichick knew Gronk for six years. How well did that go? Hey, pretty well. I mean, they won Super Bowls, so. Yeah, but the, the relationship itself. I mean. So. I mean, it's something that's been surprising to me, and I, sw- I want to pat the NFL on the back a little bit here. I've been, there, no one's tested positive for COVID this far. I think that was something we all kind of expected with this team, with this league. I thought that within two weeks, with players traveling around the country, we would start to see outbreaks twice the size of what was happening in Major League Baseball. But kudos to the, uh, to the NFL. Not a single positive test uh, since the... Um, since the regular season started. So just kudos to that. Also, I think there's been a severe lack of penalties, and I love it. I mean, unless you're the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was just going to say. <laughs> unless, you're the, unless you're the Buccaneers, there hasn't been a ton of penalties. And you typically, the first and second week of the year, the first couple of games, those are heavy penalty games. You get a ton of them because refs are trying to set a precedent. But now I like that the refs are kind of swallowing the whistles and they're letting the players on the field dictate the outcome of the game. That's been very ha- – I've been very happily surprised with that. Wasn't there a pass interference against uh, – was it the Rams and the Cowboys, or who was that? Oh, yeah, it was Rams-Cowboys that first week. You're right. That's But, again, like we would have that in like 17 games by now. Mm. You know what I mean? Like that's that's one instance. And maybe you got the call right and you got the call wrong. I, mean, I think there's kind of – you can make an argument for both with that specific call. But they've swallowed the whistle. And I like that. It's letting the players decide the outcome. There was also the one with AJ Green the first week. Yeah. I think it's a case by case thing, but No, oh, okay. Yeah. Good point. Are those your surprises? Is that a surprise to you? That lack of penalties? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. A hundred percent. I mean, if you take those two out that we just mentioned, it is kind of uh unusual and i think the reason behind that is probably because goodell and you know the top brass of the nfl is probably like listen we've had a lot of bad publicity with referees in the past two or three years so like let's let's do something about this like i mean we talked about it in the last segment but that you know that non-pass interference call in the nfc championship that was kind of the catalyst to, to everything that was like an egregious thing that anyone should have seen and I think that kind of scared the NFL into being like, okay, listen, like, you know, 
let them play it. I was going to add another surprise. And it's a pleasant surprise. Um, young quarterbacks. Look yes. at them. I mean, Burrow's popped. I did not think – I thought Joe Burrow was going to get steamrolled by, <laughs> by, the, the, by the teams he's played so far. I didn't. I called that. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I just looked at their roster and I was like, eh, not much of an offensive line. I mean, he's got A.J. Green, so that, that's good. And Joe Mixon's a good running back. But, like, I thought they were going to get steamrolled. He looks magnificent. He looks really good. And uh, Justin Herbert, too. I know you called the whole Chargers thing. And so I'm just yeah. going to chance to pat yourself on the back there. Go ahead. Absolutely. Okay. Yep. <laughs> Poor Tyrod Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I feel for that guy. But uh, as for Joe Burrow, he's sort of met – he's played great. He's met my expectations, but so have the Bengals because they're letting him get, get killed back there. Yeah, I just this, hope he doesn't get injured. That's what I was saying. That's like, and not Because I kept saying, like, I wouldn't take Joe, Joe Burrow with the first overall pick. Not because I didn't think, didn't think he was worthy of it, but because, like, you're going to waste this kid's career if you're Cincinnati. Like, that's not like, what they're thinking. <laughs> yeah, that's not what they're thinking. <laughs> if he if he keeps getting the, taking these the hits he's been taking, oh my god! I another Andrew Luck situation to me. But a team, a player, like a real surprise, the Los Angeles Rams. They're two and zero, oh, and I, kudos to Jared Goff. And I'm not saying that the Rams' success has been solely because of Jared Goff, but he's played better than I thought he would. I fully expected this team without Todd Gurley. To kind of suck. I didn't think Jared Goff had, had what it took to really carry this team on his shoulders and be uh, the driving force behind that offense. He's been really good. Uh, I'm pleasantly surprised with the Rams, and especially now with the Niners and all their injuries, the Rams will be in it with a playoff spot and uh, will be contending for a playoff spot throughout the year if they can keep up this pace. And I'm not going to let this one fly under the radar either. Kyler Murray. Wow. Like, we waited so long for Baker Mayfield and OBJ to, to gel, and what did it take Kyler Murray and DeAndre Hopkins? What, two hours together? <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're already flinging it down the sideline. They're, they're a real team. I underrated them going into the season. I was like, yeah, maybe a 6-10 and 10 team if they're lucky. And then all of a sudden, they're like a real team. Like, they're going to be like 9-7 and seven this year. I, I, I'm surprised by them. I'm pumped. 9-7? and seven. Ooh, I go even further than that. Jason underrating a team before the season? <laughs> I want to ask you guys this: is there any, Are there any teams that are playing well or playing not so well right now that you think they're going to turn it around, or that there's no way they can keep this up? Because there's one team that stands out to me. But I want to hear you guys' thoughts first. The Patriots. No, I'm just kidding. I no, hey, listen. I'm glad you brought up the Patriots because they're a big surprise for me. And can we just talk about Cam Newton? I mean, any oh, excuse man. for you to talk about Cam Newton? No, listen, any excuse man. for you to talk about anything that makes the Patriots look good? Listen. We all watched that game against Seattle. We all had Seattle just blowing them out, right? We all said that was going to be a wash. And Cam Newton stepped up in there and played pretty much a perfect game. Like 400 yards, two touchdowns, um, was getting it to Edelman all night. The, the last play at the goal line, you know, I'm not mad at that. You put the ball in your best player's hands, try to have him win the game. I'm not mad at that at all. But, I mean, he's been impressive. And I think a lot of, I mean, think about it. 31 other teams passed on Cam Newton. The Patriots were the only one that gave him an offer. So that just kind of makes you go, you know, what were other teams looking at? And, you know, shout out to Bill Belichick for giving Cam a second chance because it looks like it's working out in New England. 100%. How, how about a team that you think is like, okay, they're not this bad or there's no way they're this good? I got one. The Dallas Cowboys. They just won against the Falcons, which... By the way, they should not have won. 
the Falcons forgot how to play football briefly, and then the Falcons or the uh, the Cowboys stole the game. So you know the Cowboys will come back down to earth eventually. You know every year it's we them boys, we them boys. Relax. You're in a terrible division. You're in the worst division in football. The Eagles are a mess. The Washington team doesn't have a name. Um, and the Giants are the Giants, and they just lost their best player to an ACL injury. So I really don't see – like, yes, the Cowboys are going to win the division, obviously, because it's, they, could, they could go 6-10 and 10 and still win the division at this point. So uh, they're eventually going to – you know, they'll run into – a, a much better team in the first round of the playoffs and they're going to get wiped out. So, you know, the, the Cowboys, the Cowboys are going to Cowboys. They're going to, they're going to do Dallas things. You know, Jerry Jones is going to basically let Dak Prescott like, you know, do his thing. And how can I say this? Jerry Jones would bottle feeds Dak Prescott if he could. Oh my God. So breastfeed him. Thank you. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, it, it's that's just a messy situation down there in Dallas. They always think they're a good team. I just don't see it. Once they run into an actual team that like remembers how to field an onside kick, they'll lose that game. So, yeah, the Cowboys for me. Keep going. Jason? Keep going. Uh, no, I want to hear more. <laughs> I want to hear more. <laughs> well, I, I got one. If Jason, you want, I'll, I'll take. I'll no, uh, jump in on this. No, I got. I got one. I got one. All right, go ahead. The Vikings. I did not think they were going to be this bad. I didn't think Kirk like Kirk Cousins made the playoff. Uh, the po- the Pro Bowl last year, excuse me. He made the yeah. Pro Bowl, which means he's one of the what top three quarterbacks in the NFC. He rolled, he he played like it uh, last year, so I didn't expect him to just lay an egg against the Colts. As high as I am again on the Colts, I didn't think they'd hold the Kirk Cousins to being that bad. But that that team is a real ceiling. I had them making making the playoffs, which I don't know which will come to fruition. But uh, I didn't think they were going to be this uh, flimsy. I'm going to go with another uh, NFC North team, and I'm going with the Chicago Bears. They're 2-0 right now, and there's no way they keep this up. There's That's absolutely no chance the, the Bears keep this up. Right now, Mitch Trubisky hasn't played terrible. I mean, he's not great. Somehow but that's like, a compliment. That's a compliment. Right. Like, that's the thing. Like, he's not – you don't suck, but you're not good. <laughs> they can't keep this up. They stole a win in week one after the Lions choked in the, uh, choked in the, third, in the fourth quarter. And they beat the Giants last week in a close game that shouldn't have been as close as it was when Saquon Barkley went down with the injury. Like, they're a fake 2-0. They really should be 0-2. They're going to come back down to earth when they, once they play a real competition, like the Packers. I think the Vikings are still better than them. The Lions are even still better than them. Well, then again, I don't know if they really are. Hey, Lions, should, Lions had that game. They just they blew it. Ugh. That might that, that could be worse than the Falcons choking to the Cowboys. I think it is. Like you choked to Mitch Trubisky. I don't know, man. Look, at it. Did you, you see choked that on- to Mitch Trubisky. Like I know, like the onside kick is bad, did you but you see let that onside kick. <laughs> I saw the onside kick, but Mitch Trubisky threw three touchdowns in the fourth quarter, and then you still had a chance to win. And the running back just dropped the ball. Mitch Marino out there, Mitch Montana, <laughs> <laughs> looking good out there. Yeah, he won't keep it up. The Bears suck. Yeah, no chance. The Bears suck. Nick Foles will be seeing time more than. Or sooner rather than later. I'm surprised Nick Foles hasn't already been in there. But then again, Mr. Trubisky hasn't been terrible, and that's all you can really ask for out of him. Hey, that's yeah. all the time we have for the final call this week. Thanks for listening on Radio Massasoit. If you are interested, you can hear this in its podcast form wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. 
Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at MCC. And if you're interested in doing some reading, check out the scoreboardtimes.com and newenglandsportsunited.com. So for Ben Mamaritas, for Jason Snow, I'm Andrew Fantuccio. This has been the final call on Radio Massasoit. Be some kind of way out of here. Say the joker to the thief. There's too much confusion.